working with communities now through recovery to understand what resilience looks like for them going forward for when the assets aren't there um, because you can't engineer your way out of everything and sometimes you know, maybe that's just not the best approach is to, to engineer or design your way out of something and focus on the assets. Welcome along to the Asset Guardian podcast where we explore the discipline of asset management throughout New Zealand and speak with industry leaders to learn more about the innovation and challenges in today's evolving world of technology, infrastructure and regulation. My name is Josh Pope and I'll be your guide on this journey into the world of kaitiakirawa and asset management. Welcome along to the Asset Guardian podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Joshua Lloyd on the show today. Uh, Joshua is a passionate infrastructure uh, asset manager and has experience managing multi-billion dollar asset portfolios in the public and private sector at an executive and operational level. Uh, Joshua has a background in the electricity sector and has held various roles at Unison, including various uh, analyst roles, uh, network strategy and investment manager, continuous improvement manager, and asset strategy and integration manager. He is now GM of Community Infrastructure and Development at Central Hawke's Bay District Council, and I'm very excited to have him on the show today and uh, hear some of his insights. Kia ora, Joshua, welcome along. Kia ora, Josh. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for being here today. So um, do you just want to give a, a bit of an introduction to yourself, uh, introduce yourself to the listeners and, and, and um, maybe talk about your, your current role and what's involved with that? Yeah, cool, Josh. Um, so hi, everyone. I, I'm Josh. I work currently for the Central Hawke's Bay District Council uh, here in the Hawke's Bay. Um, I'm kind of Hawke's Bay born and bred, more or less. So Hawke's Bay is home and it's cool to hold a, hold a leadership role in the infrastructure sector in the Bay. I've been with council for five years now, um, just over five years, um, and that time has flown. Uh, my portfolios here cover uh, most of the hard infrastructure for council, including three waters, um, land transport, solid waste, so that's all of our rubbish recycling landfills and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and I also hold the consenting portfolio that covers um, resource land use and building consents. So yeah, that's what keeps me busy at the moment. Awesome, thanks for that. Well, I'm looking forward to um, hearing a bit more about some of the the um, intricacies of asset management uh, within a council. I think you're the first uh, person from a council that I've got on and it always interests me just because it's such a broad scope of assets that you do manage. And um, I'm, I'm quite keen to sort of explore some of the uh, probably your, some of your recent insights into into resilience, um, just with everything that sort of happened um, up in the Hawke's Bay uh, recently with Cyclone Gabriel. But um, before we get into that, um, if you, uh, I, I sort of like to explore the personal side of my guests and, and um, you know, sort of see what see what makes them tick. Um, if, the, if you weren't doing your current role, was there any other passions that you may have followed? Uh, I'm not sure about followed because I probably uh, don't have the skills to do so, but I'm quite into, uh, at the moment, my running. Um, so I run as much as I can outside of work um, and mainly focused on longer distance stuff, ultramarathons and, and the hills and that sort of thing. So that would be that would be a dream sort of um, life. Not sure about career, um, but if I could just travel around running in the mountains and in different countries, that would be pretty cool. Um, otherwise, uh, I have a wife and three kids here in the Bay and we own a small farm and um, yeah, you know, kids school and sport and dancing and keeps us pretty busy. Plus a a big amount of fencing to do on the farm now post Gabrielle. So yeah, that's 
that's me outside of work. Oh, nice. Plenty there to keep you busy then. Is there any, are you training for anything at the moment? Any races at the moment? Um, yeah, every, everything's focused on a race next January, actually. So we've got quite a build into that one. Um, back down in Otago. Um, it's called The Revenant. Uh, I was in it this year and uh, we'll be back there next year with a score to settle. Um, yes, everything's heading towards that. There'll be a few other events along the way, but that's the big one. Nice. Oh, good luck on that. Hey, um, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a cyclist, um, and I don't know why. Uh, I, I think I watched some Tour de France stuff as a young fella, and uh, then I used to get my parents to time me how fast I could bike around our house. Um, I remember doing that for, for a while, uh, but I don't own a bike now and haven't for quite a long time, so <laughs> I think that dream is gone. Yeah, transferred over to running. I, arguably, I'd say that the running's probably harder than the cycling. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, um, resilience is a bit of a hot topic at the moment uh, with, I guess, the events of cycling, Gabriel. And um, I, I remember similar sorts of conversations, uh, you know, emerging after the earthquake and, um, uh, you know, in response to the earthquake. Um, I was just wondering, sort of from your point of view, um, I don't know if you've had time to reflect on, on everything that's happened recently, but was there any sort of learnings um, that you'd be able to share with the listeners, um, you know, that the benefit of hindsight may have helped with? Yeah, so so we're still fairly fresh post-Gabrielle, obviously. We're six and a half weeks um, post now, and we're officially in what we call a transition phase, transitioning from response into recovery. Um, looking back at the response, I'm fairly proud of the work that we did here in Central Hawke's Bay. We um, we responded really quickly and managed to meet the needs of our communities pretty quick, um, not by comparison to anyone else, um, but I just, I just think um, we did a pretty good job. Um, I think reflecting now, what really helped us out was leadership capability across the organisation. Um, you know, when, during the event, a lot of, um, you know, power was out, phones were out, internet was out. We had people that couldn't get into the office. We had asset managers and engineers that couldn't get to treatment plants and pumping stations. So it really threw kind of every spanner possible in the works and it meant most systems, processes, procedures kind of went out the window. Um, but on reflection, what we did have was kind of a critical mass of people in the organisation across various roles, you know, leadership roles, management roles, technical roles, engineering roles, operations roles that just kind of knew what to do. Um, they knew what good looked like. They knew what we were trying to achieve. They kind of knew how to prioritise things themselves. So good things just kind of happened. And I'm not saying that, you know, process and procedure and systems aren't important because they are. And, and I'm a real kind of structure and systems guy. But when all of that went out the window, what I'm really proud of is that we just had teams of people that stepped up and got on and did what needed doing in those first few days when a lot of, you know, for the few days there, we were flying blind. Um, we couldn't talk to communities and to teams, but good stuff was happening um, and it was fantastic. Yeah, that's a uh, really valuable insight, I think, because um, like you say, what happens when, uh, you, you know, you, you try to plan for as much as possible, right? But what happens when things don't go to plan and when and when that structure is out the window? And uh, it's probably something that's, I don't know if it's undervalued, but 
you don't use it as much. Uh, you, you know, you use it in those times of, of when you really need to, as that strong, strong leadership to be able to get those things done. And I think, um, you know, that's something to be really proud of, particularly you know, if you're your your teams and, and and staff that was sort of out in the field and 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 just getting the work done so uh, it's really cool to hear uh, sorry go on yeah and no, I, I was just saying yeah i think building capability right across the organization is really important there um you know and it's not at a hierarchical leadership kind of um level only it's you know right through the organization and different layers so we had you know operators who could step up and um, treatment specialists who could step up and engineers who could step up and um yeah that capability right through the spectrum um is what you know i've, I've been really proud of on reflection now mm -hmm. and just taking a slight sidebar there is that is that something you had um sort of a, you know invested in prior to that or was just a part of the culture that had you know has, has always always been you know yeah no i think it is certainly something we've invested in and quite purposefully so so in my time here we've gone through quite an amount of transformation with respect to asset management across the various asset um, classes that that i look after and um, we have heavily invested in people through that time um, and we have you know re-established um, structures and frameworks and you know the broader asset management system to give clarity around purpose and what value we're trying to deliver from our assets and that's flowed through right into you know new contract relationships new partnering relationships investment in people and training and systems and technology so we've been really really purposeful and I guess this was a really good test of that investment in the organisation, uh, not one that we expected um, and not something we maybe had specifically planned for, but I think that purposeful investment um, and energy put into resource and understanding systems at a broader level and understanding uh, understanding our asset base, you know, really importantly, definitely paid off. Yeah, it's a real testament to the resilience um, of your people. and and. and you know, really what I wanted to focus the, this podcast on today was um, around that topic of resilience because it's quite an interesting one and I guess the word gets thrown around and it's used in a lot of different contexts and I, I think, um, I, I particularly when I, I hear resilience, I, I often think of, you know, physical um, infrastructure and, and, and the resilience of that, but it's it's so much more than that, right? You've got resilience of your communities and resilience of your your team members and your staff, and um, as well as the resilience of the the assets themselves as well. And so I was wondering if you sort of had any thoughts on on how you see the relationship between say asset ma management and resilience, or, or are they even related? You know. Yeah, yeah, they, they very much are related and in an asset centric organisation like ours, obviously we rely heavily on assets to deliver the value that, that we are here to deliver. So assets are obviously a key part of the um, solution when it comes to resilience. But I think often, you know, again, with a bit of hindsight now, we've focused a little too much on the assets sometimes. And what we're understanding now is that resilience for some of our communities and some of our, um, you know, some of our our customers at the end of the day that needs to be non-asset solutions or solutions where 
assets are only part of the answer. So we're working with communities now through recovery to understand what resilience looks like for them going forward for when the assets aren't there, um, because you can't engineer your way out of everything. And sometimes, you know, maybe that's just not the best approaches to, to engineer or design your way out of something and focus on the assets. So resilience for some of our communities is around understanding um, who's who in the community and where they will go, understanding how they will communicate and how we can check in uh, resilience could be us um, positioning plant equipment or people in some of these areas ahead of time uh, rather than just focusing on the hard engineering so yeah absolutely they are related and we will continue to focus on building resilience in the asset base but i think now you know i've, I've certainly gained a an appreciation for non-asset solutions as well um, and enabling resilience. And that's what I'm you know, going to be focusing on into this recovery phase going forward very much so. Yeah, it's quite good to hear that because I, I, I did see, you know, a lot, a lot of different articles and, and comments and things after the the sort of destruction. And there was they were seemed to be quite focused on that engineering response. And it almost seemed to be like there was that piece missing around, well, you know, at, at what level of engineering would, would this bridge have actually withstood the, the amount of water, you know what I mean? And, and perhaps that, you know, you, you bang on the money there, like, well, maybe it's not just about protecting those assets, it's actually about protecting the community, you know, what doesn't matter what kind of bridge you had in there, it was going to get wiped out anyway. And then what do you, you know, what you still need that plan B, right? So. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. What do you think some of the um, biggest mis misconceptions around sort of asset management um, are for, say, the country or, or even communities, you know? Um, yeah, I, I guess similar to my last point there about, you know, appreciation now about resilience, not necessarily being about the assets only. Um, I think a, a misconception often in asset management circles is that asset management, again, is all about the assets. Um, you know, assets are, you know, obviously core in asset management, but if you don't understand the value of those assets and um, the purpose that they're trying to serve, then kind of what's the point? And certainly now, as I find myself kind of, you know, well, in a, in a general management role anyway, you know, a very small amount of my time is spent dealing with technical asset issues. Um, you know, we have teams of people that do that and they're fantastic at what they do, but the real challenges we face are, are dealing with people, um, dealing with relationships, dealing um, with customers and, and with partners and trying to understand how how assets serve our customers. Um, so yeah, I think we can spend too much time like the resilience piece focusing on, on the asset and on the engineering. Um, or the design or the specification or making it go faster um, rather than asking the the kind of so what question or or why are we here sort of question um, which you know it's a it's a more difficult question and it relies on um, leaders taking a broader view and stepping outside of what could be our classical lanes as asset managers or or engineers or operators or whatever we are um, and sometimes those conversations are difficult because they rely on a new skill set um, and yeah so I think that's that's definitely something I've learned and definitely something that's been reinforced it's not all about the asset yeah absolutely and I think that you know exactly what you said there maybe stepping outside the lanes a wee bit sort of lends itself to a bit of that strong asset management leadership as well because i i think it takes uh courage to sort of be able to identify that and um even explore those sorts of options you know 
Um, with with everything that's just recently happened, you, you know, is there any advice that you would have to um, asset owners, say, across the country, um, who may be looking at, at their assets and, and sort of thinking, geez, if, if we'd had that same situation, what would we have done? And, you know, where, where should we start to start to focus our attention on? Yeah, I think um, being really purposeful about building capability in the organisation is important um, and building that capability right through the kind of value chain within the organisation is important. Uh, I think to do that effectively, you need to have a good understanding of how assets fit within an organisation and in the broadest system, you know, so it can't just be an asset um, or engineering team um, managing the assets. You, the whole organisation needs to understand the system or the framework or the context or the environment in which these assets operate and, and why they are there and what the purposes they're trying to serve. Um, and then you need to build layers of capability right across the organisation um, so that when things happen and when process and structure and frameworks and technology is thrown out the window because you don't have access to it anymore, um, that you have that capability um, and that breadth of capability and depth of capability that you can respond. And then further to that, um, you know, I think stepping right outside the lane and engaging with you know, the community, with partners in the supply chain, with stakeholders, with suppliers, um, with contractors is really important as well, because those are, you know, those are people that you can leverage in a crisis situation, um, you know, or in just a, an improvement situation where you're just trying to make your business better or maybe gain a competitive edge. Um, you know, those kind of levers, they're multipliers at the end of the day. Um, they allow you to kind of get more out of what you've already got. Mm -hmm. The, the certainly that challenge around the the digital side of things is quite interesting, right? Because I guess uh, organisations are pushing a lot more towards you know these systems and, and digitisation. But um, yeah. you know when it, when it all goes all goes south, you know <laughs> a, a pad and a pen as 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 you go to at the end of the day and. Um, yeah, I, I can't yeah. help but think, you know, as as organisations sort of mature more into that digital space, do you start to lose capability of of even being able to respond with a, a pad and a pen? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I've I've been really really excited about the progress that we've made here over the last few years around um, digitisation and progress and you know asset information management and you know dashboards and visualisations and all that stuff. And it's cool and it's and it's really important and it's allowed us to to improve absolutely on a day to day. But you're dead right. Um, you know, when we lost access to that, I've, I've still got the the massive paper map on the wall with pins in it, and and that's actually what we've stuck with through the last six weeks, and are continuing to stick with because you know a, a big map with a, on paper with pins that we can draw on and mark up about what communities are impacted and who's who and where our contractors are. That's um that people can stand around and talk to that isn't reliant on a system and isn't reliant on an analyst in Wellington to update. Um, yeah, it's been really useful. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's probably. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Just coming coming from an asset owner, we certainly had the same type of thing, right? We would have a big map printed out up on the wall, and, and you know, it would be there most of the time, not not doing a lot. But if if we'd really needed it, that's where that's where it come comes in key, you know. And I just. Uh, uh, it, it'd be an interesting thought experiment, sort of run through organisations to see uh, how many of them actually have a, a you know, that 
uh, pad and pen contingency sort of up their sleeve mm. a, a plan for what happens when that uh, technology does doesn't work anymore you know so um hey just um just a, a few sort of closing takeaways um is there a favorite quote or, or saying that uh you, you could share with the audience that, that sort of might be meaningful to you yeah I, i've got a few but one i think that kind of resonates with this conversation is that structure enables agility um which sounds kind of um you know odd um but essentially you know i i've just talked about why how structures and frameworks and um, systems have kind of gone out the window and we've thrived um but i think we've thrived because of uh, they, those kind of inherent structures and frameworks that we've built in the background you know by understanding context where assets fit where systems fit where data and technology fit where people roles and responsibilities fit um, in an organization that allows our teams our asset managers you know ourselves to kind of act with freedom um, but still have that confidence that we are delivering value because we're acting with freedom inside a structure um, or a framework that has been established, um, you know, resiliently um, with value creation in mind, you know. So, yeah, the structure enabling agility is one that I, I talk to my team often about and sometimes I get a funny look, uh, but I think a number of them kind of kind of get it and click now after this event. Yeah, I like that. I like that, and that, even even that saying in itself, sort of, you know, the the way you talked through that, as as sort of back to again the resilience of of, of your team and the the organisation itself to be able to respond to something because you, you you've 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 had that um, well you know uh, well designed sort of structure and and capability and culture really, isn't it? So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if uh, just just to any sort of budding um, asset managers out there, is is there any any advice you could you could give to them? You know, in terms of uh, career or pathways, or, or just you know, sort of general life advice. I'll, I'll listen. Listen is my thing. Um, I've certainly learned to appreciate that more and more every day. Is that uh, everybody I talk to knows some uh, you know more about something than i do uh, no matter what it is they definitely know more about at least one thing than i do and and that's become really clear again through this event and talking with you know community members um you know local business owners um farmers contractors um you know whoever it may be they all hold specialist information about a topic um and you might be surprised as to what it is that they know lots about but everyone knows more about something than you do so uh take the time to listen is my advice awesome that's fantastic advice well thank you so much for coming on the show today josh uh really appreciate it it's been really great to to talk and um i i know you're, you're very busy with uh, response mode at the moment and that sort of working through that so i appreciate you taking the time and um, thank you very much Kia ora, josh thank you